Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. And today, this is, we're kind of leaving it off in a little bit of a cliffhanger. So we're in Isaiah. Today, we're starting up chapter 63. It's just the last several chapters of the entire book, and it ends in a big way. It's a, it's a very climactic ending. And uh, we're just going to have to press pause. It's kind of crazy. But today we're starting up around verse 15. It really begins the, the part that begins in chapter 64, uh, which, which is which is an amazing chapter we're going to be looking at. But we're not going to be looking at it until January. <laughs> this is the last episode before uh, the new year, before the Christmas season tomorrow with the Christmas Eve uh, KFUO kicks off its special programming that'll run through the day of Epiphany, so you'll have to wait. But good time maybe to catch up and check out our podcast and catch up on old episodes so that we're all on the same page in 2020. Uh, do make sure that you check out our podcast. You can always go to the website, kfuo.org, uh, or you, if you have a podcast app on your phone, very easy. Just download like Google or uh, Apple Podcasts and just search for Thy strong, because I'm pretty sure that we're the only podcast that starts with the, those two words, thy strong word. Anyways, very cool stuff. Looking forward to closing out 2019, thy strong word in a big way here. And today we have one of our regular guests with us here. Glad we do have him today. We've got Pastor David Boyce Claire, pastor of faith in Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Really cool few chapters here that and the book of Isaiah, aren't they? It, they yes, they are, and and it's kind of like the the uh, climax of the book, and where you know God ha- is is rejoicing in saving His people. Well, yeah, well, yes, and you've got the rejoicing, and you also have just the the longing. You know, I it's, it's interesting these these chapters because you know I, I think I, uh, I I've I've thought this before. That you know, if we were reorganizing Isaiah Parish, I thought that we would ever do that thing. But uh, <laughs> if we were to do that, you know, it, it seems like we would probably—I don't know—we would probably end the book. I would think at, at chapter sixty-two, would just say like, you know, and they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. The end. Oh, isn't the that end. nice? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you are married. Uh, you know, I mean, it's very, yeah. very, um, I believe those are, I'm trying to think whether those are Old Testament readings for the Christmas season or the Easter season, but both seasons probably would be appropriate, you know, right. just uh, that God um, it has has come to his people. He has, uh, you know, she is, the, his people is the bride of Christ, and, and right. uh, they are, and, and, and that's that's kind of like a, mount, a messianic mountaintop, as some right. some scholars would say. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, it's uh, chapter 62 gets used for, uh, let's see, the second Sunday of Epiphany. It gets uh, used for Christmas dawn, actually, if uh, if you're one of the churches that does a Christmas dawn uh, service, kind of paralleling uh, an Easter sunrise service. Very cool thing to do. But yeah, right? Like it's, you know, very, like you were saying, mountaintop kind of thing. Uh, it, it feels like it's it, it's it, the situation it's speaking to is like right before the exiles return and everyone's reunited and the rebuilding commences. But then in chapter 63, it, it's like we're taking a step back and we're looking at it from just the, the blackest moment of the night, the darkest moment of the exile where 
the dawn doesn't seem anywhere near and we're just calling out on god come now this is a, a dire situation the, the language here is language of uh, of blood of bloodshed of anger um you know i mean i really these last few chapters and it doesn't let up in chapter 66 the final chapter just speak to the the desperate situation that the exile represented it's kind of like the the final verse that our Lord was uh, quoting when he was in uh, Nazareth, uh, the the, the um, day of the year of the Lord's favor, which of course would be the jubilee year, and the day of vengeance of our God. So there, but he right. he stops short in the middle of in mid verse because he's only proclaiming gospel to the people. He's not going to pray, you know. And and it's kind of like the uh, it's sort of like the other side of the coin. In other words, God's uh, victory over uh, the enemies of his people. That's kind of the idea here. You know, right. it's it, you know, the day of vengeance. That, that's right. And, and it's really, the, now I will say the way that um, this happens is really cool. And um, I, I've actually, I remember I've had this conversation a few times, words that describe colors are kind of rare in the Bible yeah. as a whole compared yeah. to like modern literature you know, like you, uh, I don't know, like, I mean, even things that are not written like in the last couple of decades, but just take something like, I don't know, Lord of the Rings, like that we all love, right? Like, mm-hmm. it just, you, you they, they're talking about the colors of things all the time, right? The, the, the colors of, you know, Samwise's pony and stuff like that, right? I mean, everything right. is described in color terms, but mm-hmm. um, in the in the Bible, not so much. And so when you do get a description of color, it really stands out at you. And there's so much red, in this chapter it's it's very vivid in its depiction well you know i mean a lot of times people dislike at the beginning of isaiah where where uh you know we shall be whiter than snow you know white is still you know there, there's like racial overtones when oh. uh, you know people say black and white and so on so uh you know like for instance uh, uh make us white today <laughs> uh like uh, that today thy mercy calls us that hymn and then and then and of course if if uh, persons of color speak of themselves as black then the opposite of white is black so we don't want to say as pure as snow and not as white as snow but really the contrast with white is crimson and right. red yeah it's no that, that that's it is not black <laughs> it is crimson and red that that that's that's just right i mean it's um it kind of reminds me of like uh oh my goodness my daughter is stuck on how the grinch stole christmas right now and that's that's one of those books it's like the cat in the hat where um it's everything is done in just black white and red i mean just i mean it's just really white and red just black outlines on things but yeah i mean like in that ancient context they weren't working with like lots of colors it wasn't like you just you know like hmm, shall i pick out my blue shirt my orange shirt my yellow shirt my periwinkle shirt i mean it's like you didn't have like all these colors to work with all the time it was it was pretty much like there's like my clean shirt that looks kind of whitish and then there's my dirty shirt that has my blood on it i mean like that's that's pretty much the extent of it yes yeah well, a lot, a lot of uh, cool things. Uh, thanks for helping me set it up. Let's actually turn to the chapter here now. Would you start us off with a prayer uh, as we go into our final episode of Thy Strong Word this year for us and for everyone listening today? Yes, Pastor. 
Heavenly Father, as we make ready our celebration of the feast of your Son's nativity, fill our hearts with the joy and awe of the great miracle of our salvation in him, that we might show him to the nations as the humble, lowly infant, that even as he was lulled to sleep by his virgin mother, governed the cosmic deep as Lord of creation. Grant that we may hear his infant voice that speaks his word of forgiveness to us. Fill us with his spirit of wisdom as we look at a chapter of your word today, that we may be guided into all truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yes, yeah, certainly uh, very interesting taking a look at this chapter in the context of Christmas. As I was saying, uh, the previous chapter, 62, being a reading that we have for Christmas dawn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which, which is, I mean, just not very long from now, right? Just like uh, not not even a full two days from as, as I'm speaking here. But exactly. yeah, con- interesting to consider um, even even how something like this, which which seems, um, I don't know, not very Christmassy, perhaps there's something more to it. Well, let's go ahead and start off with the first the first six chapters or uh, six verses here. They really do kind of form their own unit. Uh, I do want to take a look at a couple things, particularly just in the first two verses, uh, but let, let's go ahead and appreciate how these uh, verses all fit together here, these first six. Who is this who comes from Edom in crimson garments from Basra? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red? and your garments like his who treads in the winepress. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger, and I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. So much red. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Yes, very, very violent. <laughs> so, uh, very, I mean, you know, in other words, uh, quite graphic. Right. Well, so it, it's interesting. Um, the thing that stood out to me right away was how this seems to recall a, a few different chapters that we've already seen in Isaiah. Um, the ESV is helpful with this. Uh, if you've noticed, uh, everyone who's following along, if you do have an ESV, it has a little footnote on Edom in Basra, signaling us back to chapter 34, where it specifically talked about the destruction brought upon Edom and Basra. And, and there was some similar imagery with um, with the red, with with the wine, and, and we, we, we should talk about that in a second. Um, the other thing, too, just the, the language of um of verse, what was it? It was like verse four and five. I looked, but there was no one to help. I mean, almost the exact same language of chapter 59 that we looked at. And of course, that was the chapter where God dons his armor, that the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and he goes into battle because there's, there's no one who's going to be righteous. And so he's like, I have to go down there and be righteous myself. Um, right. So it, it's interesting how, and, oh, and, and of course, finally, then uh, the, the cup of wrath, uh, and that and that goes back to, uh, I mean, that was something that we saw 
in like 49, 50, 51, this idea of there's this cup of wrath that that um, Israel was drinking from for a while. Then he says, okay, stop. You don't have to drink from the wrath anymore, and I'll give it to your enemies. So, I mean, it's tying like kind of all these different little pieces together here in these first six verses. Yes, exactly. I, I would, would, you know, from the hymnal uh, that was before the one before we have uh, the Lutheran hymnal in hymn 209, it's a Easter hymn that uh, uses these verses uh, from Isaiah, who is this mm. that comes from Edom, all his garments, uh, um, you know, dipped in blood, or um, and and um, see, as, as they mention, that also uh, Isaiah 63 is read during uh, Passion Week as well. And 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 mm. a a fellow by the name of Kelly in 1809 wrote that uh, hymn, which uh, sort of I, I think was sort of doctored up by our uh, our hymnists uh, in the 1940s to add more um, Easter themes. Mm. But uh, basically, it, it shows that uh, God in rescuing us uh, there it's not it's not going to be a pleasant sight because the enemies of the people of God are going to be put down. And, um, uh, but it's interesting, like where it talks about, I have to go down there and do the righteousness myself, as you mentioned, uh, if you look at revelation 19, uh, where it speaks about, uh, uh, Christ uh, as the lamb of God, uh, appearing, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure were following him on white horses. Uh, he's the only one that's dipped in blood, not not the not his saints or not his people, and so he's the one that that does it on his own as as the one to rescue his people from their enemies. Right. Well, and, and then um, I mean, of course, that gets extended in Revelation, and uh, there's that exchange between John um, and his guide, who who, and then he asks, you know, like uh, who who are these who dip their their robes in blood. And of course the, the, the crazy thing in that context is that you dipped it, the robe in blood and it comes out sparkling white, like the, the cleanest it's ever been. So, I mean, there's that, yes. uh, just, just uh, elaborating and there's a twist on the, on the image there, but that's, uh, that's really interesting that, that hymn, the old hymn that you mentioned. And, um, cause I don't, I don't think that the Lutheran hymnal. Yeah, because I, I don't I don't think that's one that made it to to, to no, uh, LSB. It didn't, it didn't make the cut to Lutheran worship, and it certainly didn't make the cut to Lutheran book or the, yeah. uh, uh, the Lutheran service book. But it, yeah. and I don't think I ever used it for an Easter service in all my well, 40 years of ministry. But yeah, uh, yeah, that, that, that's in, that's uh, and then also you said didn't um, what you say that that this is read or that it was read for Passion Week. Yes. Yes. Uh, which is crimson, you know, and the and the color of passion oh, yeah. is crimson. Uh, it's it's purple is the color of Lent, but right. then uh, they kind of single out uh, passion, uh, you know, Holy Week as as uh, w- that that you use the dark a uh, dark um, black, in, uh, you know, red that's tinged with with uh, black, which is a darker yeah. red. It's yeah, that's. That's that's really interesting, yeah. Because I mean, like, uh, I, th- I think in the in the modern lectionary we have, um, I, I mean, once we get to verse seven, you know, because there's a little bit of a, t- a turn right after these six verses, yes. right? You, you get um, like first Sunday of Christmas stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
yeah, once you once you make it a little bit a little bit further past the the blood red stuff, but that's interesting that this stuff used to make an appearance. Well, I mean, so let, let, let's talk about the significance, right? Of all this, okay, all all this red, right? So of course, this connection between red and blood, um, we, we've seen again and again that grapes. Um, I mean, even even the you know the juice that comes out of the grapes um, for wine that that's called the blood of grapes, poetically. Yeah. In, in, yeah. in various places, including in Isaiah. So there's that connection. Um, there's the idea of this cup of wrath, how it be, how it's, um, I mean, it is red, like with the blood of grapes, and it produces this, this, this drunken stupor that leads to being wounded and attacked and uh, bloodied, right? So we've seen those connections. But there's, there's one interesting one here um, that maybe hasn't been made as strong before and that's actually the name edom right which which is maybe a little bit unexpected here because you know the big problem isn't isn't really edom edom's like small potatoes compared to babylon babylon's the the big problem right in this sort of like a non sequitur it just kind of comes in you know yeah uh, in in the prophecy here right Uh, and and i think that's right the commentator points out that it's a very very short um prophecy um and uh you know and e- edom of course is is like the ones that egged on the chaldeans as they destroyed uh, jerusalem uh you know in psalm 137 it says uh remember O lord against the edomites the day of jerusalem how they said lay it bare lay it bare down to the foundations its foundations uh you know and so in contrast uh, babylon or the chaldeans in babylon who took the uh, uh judea captive were uh you know the, the 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 forces of evil in you know the overarching forces of evil in the world but edom is kind of like within the ambit or the world of of judah and uh you know it's it's but it's their their bitter enemies um uh, and right. and and of course they also they they would not be um you know they wouldn't be visited with judgment until the time of the uh, the um uh the kingdom of the Hasmoneans, uh, you know, during uh, uh, right. Hanukkah and so on. Then, then they were they were really subjugated. Although right. King Herod the Great was an Edomite. <laughs> well, yeah, right. Yeah, no, no wonder he didn't. Uh, he wasn't so popular among certain people, right? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, that that that's uh, thank you, thank you. That's that's well said. I mean, there's um, yeah, I mean that that Psalm one one thirty seven makes that connection there. Um, and, and, and right, they, they are just kind of the, the perennial enemy of God's people. You know, Babylon is sort of like the unexpected, you know, like, uh, you know, Johnny come lately kind of guy. I mean, like, right. you know, they, they've been at war forever with Edom. Right. They can't remember when they weren't at war with Edom. You know, I mean, like it, it goes all the way back to like, uh, you know, Jacob and Esau. Right. Um, right. but. But but Babylon kind of comes out of nowhere in in a certain respect, um, and and that you know the, the Chaldeans really no one expected them to gain so much power like the way they did. So 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 Edom, I, I mean, on the one hand, it makes sense It's kind of this ongoing bitter enemy. But then as you um, as you were saying, it's you know they're kind of like the cheerleaders to to Babylon. They're not really the big problem. Yeah. But, but right. what's right. interesting here in in this chapter. Um, this is this is one of the things that it's it's hard to to notice or appreciate in, in English, but so Basra, right? That's the capital, um, and Edom. Those they're they're kind of it's wordplay. They're both really oh. closely related to words that are very relevant 
in yes. this section. The word Edom is basically the word for red. It, it's it's basically oh, yes. the same. Right. Um, and if you compare verse one and verse two in the Hebrew, That's like you Esau, see it. Esau was called Edom. Yep. You know. Right. 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 His his, his like his uh, darker skin, and it's thought that the the, the land. Uh, was was named Edom because of this characteristically ruddy soil of of some kind, but but the words are they're they're practically identical. They are they are basically identical as far as the consonants go. But Edom is just Edom, and then um, the word for red that you have in verse two is Adom. So uh, all, almost exactly the same. Um, and then for Basra. Um, the if you look at like the the, the consonants again, um, it, it's it's uh, related to the word for um, gathering grapes, yes. um, like you would do yeah. for a harvest. So exactly. that that word there, uh, bashar, that like which is like the root for for basra, that just means uh, you know grape harvesting. And so yes. those things, the the red and the grape harvest, are the things that are going on in this chapter. And so it's like it's a reversal. Of oh hey these are these are the guys who are you know uh, soaked in crimson and they're the ones who pour out all the wine and do all the harvesting well guess what I've taken all their wine I am red in their blood it's um it, it, it's a very poetic wordplay there exactly and and as you can see you know the 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 idea of uh, you know people treading the grapes or you know stomping the grapes uh, to make wine uh, in a wine press is is a figure that is used for uh, as a figure of judgment or a figure of uh, you know vanquishing enemies in in uh, the right. Old Testament yeah well right right the whole idea of anyone being under your feet right I mean we even use idioms like that today. Um, but like that idea of, you know, just trampling down or walking all over someone, right? That That's an, even a metaphor that we use today in, in modern parlance, right? But um, it's it's the language of subjugation. It's it's the language of um, humiliation of, and all the rest. And so... Um, My it, eyes it, have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage yes. where the grapes of wrath are stored. <laughs> yep, yep, very, exactly. Exactly, yeah, very, very good. So, I mean, it's... So it's speaking more than just, you know, Edom getting their just desserts one day or, you know, that, you know, perhaps we, we could anticipate that, you know, when Cyrus the Great comes um, and, and you know, restores um, restores Jerusalem, restores Judah, the Edomites would have been like, you know, like, oh, yikes. OK, yikes, um, well, yeah, yeah you, you know, and so, yeah, you know, so, yeah, there's a local fulfillment in, in that sense. But it seems like there's something bigger going on where this is the idea. Yeah. All the people who are putting you down and walking all over you, I'm going to walk all over them. All the people who were, were in your blood, well, their blood's going to be on me. So, I mean, it's, it's this kind of, you know, we've seen this, how, how this happens before, how it speaks more than just to, you know, Edom or just to even Babylon, but it's the, it's God's ultimate promise of defeating every enemy. And that's why you even get the language that's applied to Christ um, where, you know, this yeah. is, uh, one of the readings that you get for Christmas day also from Hebrews one. Um, I think this is one of the ones that gets quoted in yeah. Hebrews one. They, they quote so many, but until I make, um, your enemies, your footstool. Yes. Very appropriate. So, um, so yeah, so for us, I mean, it's, it, it's more than just, you know, what, 
uh, God does through Cyrus, but it's it's messianic. It it has this idea, as you were saying, that gets picked up in Revelation that um, it's Jesus who's who's soaked in the blood of the enemies of God, and and of course it's it's very ironic to, to see Jesus like that, right? Because you know when he actually came, you know he didn't come as a as a bloody conqueror, um, at least not by our outward appearances, right? Like he didn't mm-hmm. seem to have any blood on him except for his own blood. Um, so that's an irony wow. that we should talk a little bit more about. But first, got to go into a short break. Everybody hang with us. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 63 on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. When communism fell in the former Soviet Union, it was an exciting time to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people who had long been denied the faith. This is Reverend Robert Ron, founder of the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. It's been 25 years since LHF began translating and publishing the books of our Lutheran faith for the people of Russia. With your help, LHF continues our work of introducing new believers to the Savior in nearly 90 countries. Visit lhfmissions.org to learn more. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're joined today by Pastor David Boyce Clare, pastor of Faith in Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pinelawn, Missouri. We're taking a look at Isaiah chapter 63. We're looking at these uh, first six verses, which are just so red and uh, full of both the blood of uh, the enemies of God and the blood of grapes. So, like, just so so much. We talked about the uh, wordplay going on with Edom and Basra, a lot of um, images being put together, meshed together here. Uh, just more on that in just a second, but I want to make sure I remind everybody who is listening live, this is the last time in 2019. If you'd like to call in with any questions or comments, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850, or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Also, a shout-out to our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. They just did a spot uh, during the break, lhfmissions.org. Some awesome work that they do. So, 
Yeah. So turning turning back to this, you you mentioned, brother, how this gets picked up in Revelation yeah. nineteen. Yeah. Um, and, and there it is in verse 13 there, Revelation, it says, He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And it goes on, and it I mean, I'll just read a little bit more of it because it kind of mentions the, the, the hymn that you were referencing. Yes. Uh, and, the army, and the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, I mean, just an, an amazing image. And, of course, this isn't um, to be confused with the, the riders of the apocalypse, like the white rider who's followed by, like, the red one and the green one and the black one and all that. Yeah, um, th this, is, this, this is a different rider who destroys everything else. And, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's very interesting, you know, because, you know, there, there it's, it's clearly referencing our Lord Jesus, but, you know, in his first coming, he's the only blood he has on himself is his own blood. But right. I mean, it does right. seem to be that in this picture of revelation, it's, it's the blood of his enemies as he's striking down the nations with a rod of iron to rule and a sharp sword from his mouth and all the rest. Exactly. And so it's speaking more of the second coming of our Lord in, when he comes in, in judgment on, to the world uh, right. on the last day. And that, that's kind of like, in commentators speaking about our uh, chapter here, they speak about, it is, it's sort of talking about the final judgment um, against the enemies of God's people, against the enemies of his church. Right. And, and I think that um, seeing it, seeing it that way, um, I mean, I mean, it actually ends up um, perhaps being very timely as as um, today going into uh, tomorrow, I guess before before sundown, the last little day of Advent here. It's it's very appropriate for Advent, actually, uh, yeah. looking to to looking to the second coming. And I mean, what a what a comfort that you know. I, I think as we look towards the end coming, uh, the end times, the the second coming. You know, there is this weight that Christianity bears um, of of uh, ridicule of the scoffers, of the doubters, of the skeptics, right? You know, like, oh, this is the church and this is the kingdom of God, and you're going to be waiting a long time if you're waiting for Jesus still, right? But, I mean, how appropriate then that, you know, the, the picture of Edom, you know, who these are the people who taunt. These are the people who are cheering when Jerusalem fell, right? That all yeah. the people who... who who taunt and cheer when the church gets a black eye um, that they, they will see one day um, the vindication of God's people. Don't you see that in our present day, um, the arts and, and science, well, I, I would say arts and sciences in, in our, in our present day culture uh, is it's the church always gets it on the chin all the time. It's always the, yeah. uh, you know, it, 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 those who are faithful to the word of God or the, or, you know, or, or those that are, you know, advocating for uh, God's word are those that are, are uh, guilty of um, you know bigotry and and um, evil in society. You know, when in, in a society that calls good evil and evil good, and it, it, it's really right. disheartening as I see it. You know, see, I, a yeah. lot of times if you watch any of these popular films or te television series, and and you see the the, the pastor. Uh, you know, being the being the 
the demon or the evil one, you know. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah. the church gets it on the chin again here, you know. It's like, yeah, no. you know, there, yeah. So I was, so was going to say, I just, I just saw something like a new series on Netflix and like, sure enough. Right. And, and this is, this is totally one of those series that's aimed at millennials and like, um, and sure enough, what, how is the church depicted corrupt people who are greedy and breaking all the rules themselves and like assassinating people in back alleys. And like, it's like, uh, of course the church would be depicted that way. Exactly. And, and, you know, this is a dark time for the church, like with, even with the, for the Church of Rome that, that's constantly assailed with, uh, you know, ac- and, 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 you know, just accusations of, of child molestation yes. and so yes. on. And it's just a very, very uh, trying time for God's people. It's also a very exciting time, too. Yes. Well, yeah, and I think that in that way, I mean, really, we we do appreciate the situation of the survivors there in Judah, because, I mean, and this is what we're going to get to, and we should probably press on pretty soon, but like, when you get on to verse 7 and following, there there is this admission that, hey, you know, the Babylonians came and did this because we deserved it. I mean, mean, we were being unfaithful. I mean, we brought this on ourselves. It was because of our sin. It wasn't because God was being fickle. It wasn't because God was being you know, uh, capricious, right? Uh, so in that sense, you know, like we as the church, uh, looking back at our history, we have to understand like, yeah, the moments where, you know, Edom is cheering, um, as the Babylonians, you know, uh, you know, get us on the chin as you were putting it. I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's deserved. We, we had that coming. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. but on, on the other hand, like they go too far, uh, because they don't recognize the, the goodness of what's going on in the church, right? Which is, of course, Jesus Christ himself and, and not, um, you know, uh, anything in us innately, us sinners. I mean, so the, the, the problem is that the baby's getting thrown out with the bathwater here. Um, right. and, and, you know, the rest of the world says like, oh, just get a, you know, do away with that superstitious religion and all the rest of it, right? But um, when, when they go too far and, and they miss Christ in the midst of it, um, because of our sins, I mean, we should be grieved, and, and there is this language of grieving that's uh, that's here to come, right? Uh, but we should also be comforted that you know it, God is going to j- rectify the situation, both by forgiving our sins, giving us a new spirit, um, doing away with the blemishes on His church. But He is going to vindicate the goodness that is there, the goodness that that we know and that we have tasted. Yes. And that's 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 really really ultimately what's going on. It's it it you know God or, or rather the bringing of the gospel to the world. Even Christ Himself said, "You think you're going to have an easy time of it? It's not going to be easy." You know, if they called if they called me a transgressor, or what do you think they're right. going to call you? You right. know, I mean, it it it's like uh, you know we you know we're also part of uh, in the shadow of the cross. In, in tectum sub uh, nebula cruce or whatever. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. Well, that's that's very good. I do I do not nearly know that much uh, that much Latin. Very um, yeah. I'll take your word for it. But yeah, and, you know, certainly we we definitely um, can relate to the survivors of Judah in that same way. Let, let's go ahead and press on and read this next portion here. The next the next part seven through fourteen. This is that. Uh, Christmas dawn reading I was mentioning. Um, there, there's a little bit of a turn. It it gets to be um, a little bit a little bit more optimistic, even the, even as there's an admission of guilt here. Um, let, let's let's press on here, verse seven through verse fourteen. 
I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel, that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put them in the midst of them in his Holy Spirit? who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths like a horse in the desert. They did not stumble. Like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. So, I mean, th there it is. I mean, it feels uh, very much like... Uh, like Psalm like 105 and 106, like we like we read the idea, especially 106, really, the idea of, you know, he, there's this resolve to praise God. You know, I, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, you know, even in the midst of, yes, this is the sin. This is this is our just desserts that we've brought upon ourselves. And it's, um, you know, God. But going back to that, God created us as a people that he chose us that his goodness um, will never leave us because of his promises. Like going, going, going back to that, um, in this case, look, looking back all the way to the Exodus. Yes, and, and it begins with the statement of the chesed, the steadfast yeah. love of right. the Lord, of Yahweh, that he, that he is, um, you know, it is, it is his mercy and love in Christ, which is our salvation, and, um, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, we're, you know, the people, of course, Isaiah is pro prophesying, you know, years ahead of time, the people are in Babylon crying out, right. you know, when, when will be, we be returned to uh, our land? And, and uh, you know, and, and sort of like, he's kind of reminding, there's sort of like recounting the history of, of what God, how God has rescued his people through his servants, Moses, and, and uh, the prophets of old or the leaders of old, like Joshua and Moses and so on. Right. Well, right, yeah, that, that, that language, um, the shepherds, right? Um, what is it? Yeah, where, where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? So, um, you know, that, that language, of course, which, which ties, you know, Moses and Joshua and the rest. Um, I mean, I mean even, even recalling, like, Abraham, which we're going to get to in just a few verses later, um, that shepherd language ties them then to the kings, right? So, I mean, just that, that God has really all along been looking out for us and taking care of us, um, you know, like the, the verb there in, in verse 9, lifted them up and carried them, right? So, I mean, th th this, is, this, is, this is how faith works. It, it has hope for the future because it has confidence and, and focus on what has happened in the past. And I love that, uh, you know, touch there where it speaks of God as our Savior, you know, God, yeah. our Savior. That's that's very, that, that directs us, you know, so closely to Christ, because that's who he is. 
Um, then you have this uh, mention of the angel of his presence or the angel of his face or who is his face. Um, you know, and, and as John's gospel says, you know, no one has seen God at any time, but God, the only son, he has made him known. And so, you know, Christ is, uh, it shows the, fa- the face of Christ is the face of God to us. Um, right. And so this 2320 says, uh, where God is speaking to uh, Moses, to his people, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and so on, the the people and the land of, of Israel, and I will blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them. And, and so on. And, and, and it basically speaking about the angel of the Lord, you know, again, mm-hmm. who is Christ. Right. And, and, we, and we've seen that in a number of places already, just that, that, that idea that, you know, that there's Christ showing up, I mean, to, to Moses and guiding the people through the wilderness and saving the people from the Assyrians and um, over and over again, you know, meet, meeting Joshua. It's, it's so cool. We're, we're getting to Joshua. Um, next month, we're gonna we're gonna see that where Joshua encounters the the commander of the Lord's army, right? And uh, yes. so, I mean, yeah, there's all these all these moments where where Christ shows up, and that, that is an interesting turn of phrase there in verse nine, the angel of His presence, or, or as you were mentioning, literally the angel of His face. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's not the it, angel who sees his face. Face. It's not objective. Right. It's subjective. It's it's the face of God, uh, the right. angel who is God's face or His presence. Right. Yeah. And no. his, and, 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 yeah. I was going to say, like, so so this is, I think, this is really cool because this this connects both to the, our Christmas Day readings then um, from Hebrews one and from John one, right? Because I mean, when it says um, in Hebrews 1, that, you know, um, in, in the past, God spoke to our fathers in many and various ways, right? I mean, it, it's thinking about, you know, these times where these angels have shown up. And, and like, you, you we, we kind of look at Hebrews 1, and we're sort of like, I, I mean, the whole chapter, and even in some ways, the whole book, um, is trying to argue that Jesus is not just an angel, he's greater than all the angels, right? right. And, and he, he we kind of through the, he breaks through the type you know, he's the yeah. anti-type. There, there, yeah. The angels and the prophets, so on, are all types, or Moses is a type, of, or right. David is a type of Christ, or Joshua is a type of Christ. And he, he, he uh, is, is pointed forward with that, but he also breaks through. He's so much greater than right. they are. Yes. Well, yeah, yes. And, and, and so, like, and so we, we ask ourselves, or I, I don't know, I, I think we kind of, uh, we don't appreciate it, for, I think, nearly nearly as much as we should, that you know, we, we, we kind of don't understand, well, why is it so important that he, that he argue that he's superior to the angels, right? Because we would say, of course he's not an angel. He's the son of God. Like, why? so why why did anyone think he was just an angel, right? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and so we, we kind of like the argument sort of lost on us, right? Because, I mean, you know, he, here the author of the Hebrews is like really just trying to like make, make this abundantly clear. And it's like, well, why would anyone think that anyway? Well, again, if you look at the Old Testament, 
I mean, how is Jesus our Lord, you know, before his birth, described again and again and again? Well, as an angel, you know, as yeah. as the messenger, right? That's what angel means, like as the messenger of God. And so when when you take the appreciation of, hey, our Lord Jesus didn't just, you know, appear, you know, in, you know, AD 1 or, you know, more likely, you know, 7 BC or something like that, right? If we're being technical, right? But no, he, he's been there all along. Um, and, and you see that in, in Hebrews one, that kind of in many times, in many ways, or if you uh, look at even even at John one, and this is something that I, I don't know, I, I I should ask you what you think about this, but I've been looking at, at John chapter one a lot, and I've been yes. I've been I've been curious to wonder if when it verse talks 18. about he came to hit, well actually, so back at verse eleven where it says here came mm-hmm. to his own people or came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. That yes. and, and, it, and it even goes on to say, um, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, and he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I wonder if all that actually refers to the Old Testament, because I, I think that mm, commonly yeah. when it's read, people just kind of assume like that, that that refers to like, you know, Jesus Christ is born in Bethlehem that, you know, like, oh, the people didn't receive him. Right. But I mean. Oh yes, that, that's yeah. That's the I guess that's the common understanding of that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it, it's before verse fourteen. It's before the word became flesh. Right. I mean, it, it, all, it all comes before that. Um, and, and I and I feel like the argument right is this idea that you know Jesus Christ was already there. He existed all along. And in verse thirteen. Why are we so careful to distinguish between not being born of blood nor flesh and the will of man, but of God? Well, because we're saying even in the Old Testament. The key was not that you had the right bloodline, but that you had faith. And I mean, like, it, anyways, right. I mean, right. I'm, I'm, not, exactly. I'm not sure what you, what you think about that. But I mean, I, I feel like I see John pointing back to the Old Testament, also saying Jesus was there all along, time and time again, as the angel of the Lord, the commander of his army, as the angel of his face. And and even Christ himself tells of, you know, I am the door of the sheep. And everybody that came before me is thieves and robbers, you know. Or in other words, when when they oppose, you know, God's uh, promise of the Messiah, you know, then they are thieves and robbers or want to want to try to come into God's sheep pen, uh, you know, over the wall, you might say. And, yeah. and I, I think that's a very good insight into that uh, into that passage. Although I think there is also a, a you know a tie in with uh, Christ's own appearing in his humility um, sure. on the earth. But I, I I think that that that's also tied in there. Uh, and and then we talk about in, in later in this chapter, of course, who talks about um, rela- relationship with God too. Well, speaking of the later portion of this chapter, we should go ahead and read um, the last five verses here. Um, so, so this really then, so we, we, these are these really two. Uh, I mean, it's interesting how it really does feel like there's like three strong divisions within this here. Like the first six verses, kind of you know, very particular about Red Edom, all the rest. Um, then there's this portion here in the middle, and then when you turn to verse fifteen, this this is like as far as I see it, this seems to be like the real start of chapter 64. (laughs) Um, I mean, in fact, that's how the ESV even paragraphs it. I mean, it calls this part prayer for mercy and it just continues um, into chapter 64. So this this is kind of what I was saying at the intro that this is kind of like the cliffhanger. We're going to start off chapter 64 basically, but we're not going to finish it till 2020, but we're going to get the ball rolling here. 
look at the last five verses. Uh, there are definitely some tie-ins, though, as, we, as we've been saying. So here's 15 through 19. Look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. For you are our father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer, from of old is your name. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Quite so, a contrast I mean, to the chapter before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You just, I mean, you can really feel the despair. And, and also, like, the language of um, the language of an intermediator, of, a, a, of an intercessor, there's the word, of a mediator or an intercessor, that, you know, especially in verse 17, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Like, this feels like, you know, it's like the, the prophet from the perspective of post Babylonian, or, or just, I mean, really in the midst of it, Babylonian Judah, when Judah was just a province of Babylon, you know, the prophet's yeah. like looking out from that perspective and being like, what, why, why is it so bad? Lord, why have you hardened? I look around and our hearts are hardened. We're, we're just going off in our own directions. We're, we're practicing so much idolatry. We basically look like the Babylonians, like, like I was saying in verse 19 there, right? It's as if We'd never been God's people ever. The language of 16.2, though, right? Abraham does not know us. Israel does not acknowledge us. It's like, we are so bad, our ancestors are rolling in their graves and disowning us, is the image. Yeah, yes. And you know that verse, of course, is also used uh, in our catechetical uh, instruction to show that uh, we ought not to pray to the saints, uh, you know, just to, just as a aside, there uh, emphasizing, of course, that is it is God who is our Father, not and, right. and our Helper, our Savior, our the one who hears our prayers, and that it is not appropriate for us to turn to the saints for um, divine aid. Right. Well, I mean, and that just, of course, mirrors like what you have in in the New Testament as well, like. You know, John the Baptist, even, right? We saw this earlier this Advent season. Don't don't even begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father, right? Like, you know, God can raise up children for Abraham from these stones if, if he really needs some more sons, right? So, yeah, yes. um, yeah. right, so so the, the point, right, is going back to, to God, who is the father, the creator um, of Israel, and who's the one who calls, I mean, Israel's the firstborn of God is is the idea. But, but yeah, I mean, it's... um. I mean, it's, it's really, there's also this really, uh, just in this little section at the beginning, look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. And then in verse 18, towards the end of this little chunk that we read, your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. So there's this, uh, there's this uh, lack of balance. You know, God's habitation in the heavens is beautiful, but his habitation down here in Judah has been smashed to pieces. Oh, Yes. And, and there's a sort of a, a appeal. They're they're appealing to God. Look at what's going on here. Right. You know, uh, please help us. You know, they're they're not saying you know God is kind of um, you know not not carrying out His responsibility, but they're but they're you know kind of saying look look what's going on here, 
and 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 it's kind of like our Lord says, uh, you know, where the the his parable of the unjust judge, you know, shall not God answer when his people cry out to right. him about the uh, you know you know the unjust judge even gave uh, justice to the widow, uh, and, and right. God is uh, going to take care of his people. And, right. and another thing is is that it's so rare in the Old Testament for God to be called Father, and and right. uh, as our Lord Jesus teaches us in His prayer, you know that we should address Him as our Father who art in heaven, and and the Spirit of God, of course, also witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God, and then we cry out, Abba, Father, by His grace. Yeah, no, th- thanks for pointing that out. No, yeah, so- sometimes like it gets. I mean, of course, the way that our Lord Jesus spoke of God as Father, I mean, he did He did definitely speak of it as a unique relationship, so that shouldn't be discounted. But sometimes the, the point gets overpressed to say that, like, oh, no one had ever called God Father before. Like, well, no, of course not. I mean, it's it's there in, in the Old Testament. Now, usually uh, he gets addressed, as you were saying, as like Lord or King or, yes. you know, one of those other things. But it does happen. Um, more more often, it's kind of like in an oblique reference, like you know, like we, yeah. Israel is his firstborn, right? Which which obviously implies that he's their father. But here it is in, in direct um, speech. You know, you are our father. That that language is there. That's been a consistent thought throughout the Old Testament. And uh, well, you know, we're gonna have to see where this all goes in, in 2020 and 64. We are gonna pick up that warrior language, that that blood red language again. That's coming, uh, but this does kind of hinge um, and, and turn everything together. You know, those verses seven through fourteen. God's going to be faithful, um, not because we're so special and because you know, like we deserved it, and like we're you know the people who are going to you know not deal falsely, like it says in verse eight. Like, oh, they're 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 going to be really good, so I'll save them. No, um, it, it's not because you know in verse sixty three or chapter sixty three, the first six verses, because like God's just a you know vengeful, bloodthirsty guy that He's going to do it. Uh, the reason why God's going to do all this is because look at how bad our situation is. He's just moved out of pity because of our great need. Um, just like 20 seconds left here, but uh, a concluding thought, perhaps. Yes, uh, and, and this has posed the question that is going to be answered in the final chapters of Isaiah. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, so we have that to look forward to as well very soon. Well, brother, thank you so much for our last episode, for being with us today, and God bless your Christmas celebration. And God bless you and all of the people of God. Thank you. Everybody, this is Pastor David Boyce Clare, pastor of faith in Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Till next time in 2020, everybody, Pastor A.G. Espinosa, peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word. Produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at KFUO.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.